sports yak. Oh One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here. And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Jack. Sports Jack. It's Sports Jack. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that only drinks Diet Coke out of a can and through a straw, it's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Saturday mornings or available to download later in your podcast feed, unless of course you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. I thought you liked Betty Boop. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and I'll preach and he'll sing. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. You are my sunshine, my sunshine. <laughs> Each week we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week, dear Aaron Dicer. Today is going to be an amazing podcast, and here's why. It's Aaron Schweitzer! Oh, that's very touching. Woo! Thank you. Yeah, glad to have you back, man. Yeah, uh, glad to be back. Aaron is one of the managing editors at SifPop.com and helps out with the site and puts stuff together uh, so you can see stuff from him there as well and occasionally gets to jump on the show and he said, hey, I have to come talk about Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, So we'll get into the reasons for that here in a little bit. Uh, We are going to talk Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, We'll also catch up on the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, which was a recent release. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that one as well. Our best ever challenge this week is best ever mistaken identity movies. Uh, so movies mm. where uh, somebody's identity is mistaken, not purposely deceived, but uh, mistaken identity movies. Uh, so we'll take a look at that. And of course, we got Buried Treasure and uh, all those fun things as well. Um, everybody ready? Everybody doing good? All hearts clear? Oh, yeah. All right. Do we need to have like a a session, you know, to talk about anything serious before we get into? I mean, you know, there's a lot of serious subject matter today. I just want to make sure everybody's uh, yeah. everybody's good. Man, my oh, session is going to be finally hearts, talking about these two movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That will be the session. Well, let's get it started. Let's chat a little bit about Dear Evan Hansen. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Um, no one signed your cast. Now we can both pretend we are friends. I'm sorry about my brother. Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? I wish everything was different. I wish I was part of something. I wish that anything I said mattered. Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, yeah, that's mine. I'll, I'll, I'll just take it. Wait, I really, I need that back. Like you could fall and no one would hear. Evan Hansen, a high schooler with social anxiety, unintentionally gets caught up in a lie after the family of a classmate who committed suicide mistakes one of Hansen's letters for their son's suicide note. It stars Ben Platt, uh, who originated the role on Broadway, I believe. Uh, The music comes to us from Pasek and Paul, who you may know from La La Land, Greatest Showman, uh, and a few other things. Uh, you've got Caitlin Deaver in there, Amy Adams, Julianne Moore, some uh, high-hitting talent. What did we think of Dear Evan Hansen? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Andrew, start us off. 
Aaron, you tricked me into watching a musical. Dare you? <laughs> you didn't know, huh? <laughs> no, I didn't know. Uh, as soon as he started singing, I'm like, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> no, uh, I will go with I low side of liked it. Oh, very nice. Uh, Aaron Schweitzer, what do you got? That just relieves so much pressure. Um, I think I'm also on the low side of liked it. Like, almost just okay. Okay. Wow, I'm way below you guys. Uh, I severely didn't like this movie. I, I, yeah, I had a, I had a rough time with this movie. So I'll let you guys talk for a while um, about what you liked about it. Um, Schweitzer, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So um, everything that I say about this movie, you really have to take with not just like a grain, but like a giant pinch of like a really coarse kosher salt, um, <laughs> like the mm. the entire pile of a Lot's life uh, yes. of salt. Yeah, got it. Yeah, uh, the the mu- the musical uh, just means so much to me uh, and my wife, and so I'm I was never gonna like hate this movie, um, mm-hmm. uh, but I have a lot of issues with the translation from the musical to the film. But ultimately, um, since we like to start on positives, it's really hard to deny that this is one of the best soundtracks ever written. Um, at least from my point of view, the the Broadway one's better, but um, I I think that Pasek and Paul are the best geniuses in the industry i think they're geniuses i really do yeah uh i will go next and i want to shout out just the performances in this movie all around i think that you know especially uh, ben platt uh i think that he's working on another level uh from i think the only thing i've seen him in besides this was the pitch perfect movies mm-hmm. um so I should have known it was a musical going in. So that's on me, guys. I'm not gonna <laughs> um, but but no, I think that uh, I think that he is great. He it has a way of making the character that he is portraying. Uh, he, he is be, besides everybody else. I think that he has his character has the most difficulty hiding. You know. Uh, his anxiety you know i think that there's other characters especially uh a man amandla amandla well amandla stenberg her character uh, alana beck uh you know it's it, a lot of people if they have like social anxiety or depression or something like that you know they can they're they're good at hiding it you know like uh but ben uh his character uh of evan definitely can't and he does it in a way to where it's not uh, a mockery of it, or he's not doing Rain Man. It's it's just one of those things where it's like he's bad at hiding his social anxiety, but it's not like there's more to his character than just that. There's definitely layers. Uh, I was uh, going off of what uh, Schweitzer said. I think that the music in this is really good. But if you told me to tell you a specific song that I liked, I couldn't because a lot of the songs, a lot of the songs sounded the same to me. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and I think that's that could be a little bit of first time through kind of stuff, too. Um, you know, that's in general with musicals. You need to see them, hear them a few times before stuff, you know, even even The Greatest Showman, which is another one of the greatest soundtracks of all time, as much as I don't like that yeah. movie, um, is that way. You know, the first time through, I would remember the songs and where they happened and kind of what they were about. But then as far as like singing along, that took like second, third listen 
um, you know, to kind of feel that way uh, about them. So yeah, I can, I can hear what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, what I, about you? I, I can say some positive things. Uh, most of it does revolve around the music. I think the music, I think that first song is one of the most incredible songs I've, I've ever heard. Uh, uh, Waving from the window. Yeah, I, tap, I don't tap. even know. I, I I don't even know what what the song is called, but yes, that's the one. Tap tap tap, waiting, uh, waving through the window. Is anybody waving yep. back at me? Like uh, it's it's got so much pathos to it, so much emotion. It speaks to uh, a real um, kind of moment for this generation, for this upcoming gener- generation dealing with anxiety. Who am I? Those kind of things. Um, I talk with friends often about the interesting dynamic between mental health issues in our children versus us you know like when when we were growing up there weren't as there weren't as many definitions for it there weren't as much uh you know um uh understanding of those kind of things and so we talk often about was it just undiagnosed was it just something that we all had but we just didn't know um and or is are there things about this next generation that are creating more anxiety, more of, you know, these mental health issues that we talk about. Um, so I think that is an interesting and worthwhile conversation to have in that first song, especially and several of the others as well, really hit on it in such a, a, an interesting and powerful way uh, that I just think it's undeniable how great the music um, overall is in this, but especially that first song. Uh, I just, I really, really loved. I also think Caitlin Deaver is amazing. I want to see her in everything. Uh, I think she's just an incredible actor. Um, I've already spoken about, you know, Julianne Moore in the past, what an incredible actor she is. Uh, Amy Adams is great. I don't think she's necessarily great in this for some reason. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if it's the direction, if it's the character or whatever, but I, I I wasn't buying her as much as I was the others. um, I agree. I think that it's, we see too much of the denial in this character without seeing the pain. Mm-hmm. If because uh, that's just how I interpreted it. Okay. Because it's just like yeah, I see a mother who <clears throat> who is denying, you know, what her son was or what he was, what his demons were, which you know, in denial, I totally get that. But I think that the ratio of seeing a mom in pain of losing her son, as opposed to a mom in denial of uh, what what a, what was troubling him, was very one sided. I uh, I will then move on to uh, Andrew a big disagreement that I think we have, which is I think Ben Platt is a terrible casting choice for this, uh, and I totally get why he originated the role. Um, I think his it's not just his age. I know there's a lot of chatter about he's 28, he's playing 16, and I agree that doesn't quite work. Um, I think he looks older than 28 in this movie a few times. I don't know why. I don't know what choices they made. But the impact, the distraction of that is not just that he looks older. It's that it turns some of the songs from like emotional to creepy. Like there, yeah. like there's a song where he it shows him like watching her and different, and it comes off as more like stocky and creepy uh, than it does like giving me any kind of empathy for him or or those kind of things. And I don't know that that's his fault. I don't know that it, that I don't bring my own um, you know preconceived notions to that. I I just know for me it was very distracting through the movie to try to buy into what he was doing. Now 
I agree with you that he's super talented. I, I think it's undeniable. Uh, I don't think you can deny how incredible his voice is, especially in the the singing and the upper register stuff that he does is just astonishing. Um, but as far as acting goes, I was enough distracted by him being older and in it that I didn't really buy a lot of the ticks and a lot of the, it almost felt overperformed to me at times. It fell into parody for me, satire. Like I just, it, it, it felt almost like an SNL cast member trying to play a teenager at times. Um, again, I know I'm probably bringing a lot of that, you know, in myself, but, um, but it definitely impacted me. It definitely impacted me. There's also like uh, there's also some weird like CGI de aging choices in this movie. Like anytime it's close up on his face, they've essentially removed his upper lip. I was getting a lot of like mm-hmm. Zack Snyder or Justice League Henry Cavill sure. vibes yeah. to that. It was really weird. But uh, yeah, I totally agree with your point on it makes some of those moments creepy. I was telling Aaron that uh, this musical means so much to me and my wife's journey in part because the the song Only Us was the song that me and my wife danced to. Oh. Uh, at our wedding reception. Um, and in this, I'm wow. almost embarrassed to say that from this movie because it came off as so creepy. Um, and a lot of stalker really, vibes, right? And like, it really changed the context. Of, yeah. Uh, which is a lot of this movie's issues are changes the context um, and doesn't do it well. Um, so how's that come off in the, in the, in the musical then that like, what are some of the specific choices? Cause you're much more familiar with the musical than I think yeah. either of us are like the stage musical. So what what so, what are some um, of those specific things? I'll I'll give three examples for the so for the only only us one. There's a there's a lot more emphasis in the movie on talking about like um, the the relationship that they have with specifically the brother, and I feel like it's just a lot less downplayed. They're just like, hey, there's a lot going on around us right now, including the the brother thing, and and just saying, you know, it could be us and only us and. And what came before doesn't count anymore. I think it's a stand- standalone, an incredible song. And you put it in in a context um, in in the musical, and it's just a little bit less like beat you over the head and remind you about the dead brother thing um, than than but the d- movie does. But does the how does the stage musical? And, and this kind of gets into my main major negative mm-hmm. and, and why I really didn't like this. But how does the musical get away from just the terrible? terrible thing he is doing in that song like i mean just absolutely sociopathically terrible thing he is doing by using his own feelings about her and telling her it's her brother's stuff her brother said about her i mean it's two different songs oh okay 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 i'm sorry maybe i I misconfused the one you're referencing is um uh, if I could tell her, it's a little okay. bit more like an upbeat song. I'm thinking about if I could tell her. Um, yeah, but yes, both of those songs had had little issues with me. But yeah, yeah. Um, the no, the movie. Um, he, here's the big di- one of the big differences. And I think why a lot of people are giving this movie such terrible reviews is, um, first of all, Evan Hansen is not supposed to. Be, he's your protagonist, but he's not supposed to be the guy you want to get away with anything in the end. He's not a really redeemable character. Uh, but one of the biggest differences between the musical and the the movie um and i hate to just be that guy ad nauseum but is uh no i'm is glad i'm glad he, you're here to say these things absolutely good uh he he does this uh, there's a lot more emphasis of him trying to get out of it at the very beginning and the parents not giving him that opportunity whereas in the movie it feels like he just kind of clams up for runtime issues mm-hmm. he just kind of clams up and never gets a chance but there's um, that moment where the the parents come to the principal's office and tell him, 
um, the, the, that Connor committed suicide and that they found the note in his pocket. Uh, and he tries to push back immediately and they say, no, you're just in denial. You're, uh, you're, he actually wrote these. You're just trying yeah. not to take the credit. Yeah. And they, they push him into this box uh, and he tries to get out of it more like three or four times yes. as opposed to not saying anything. Um, so and in that the, completely it, changes your character motivation. Absolutely. So in the stage musical, he's, he is on board with this deception from the beginning like like no he so um it's one of those things that he he still can't quite the parents aren't willing to accept him saying i didn't write this mm -hmm. um and then uh, and then even when he goes over to the house for dinner for the first time and we have that for forever song um he he tries to tell them you know because they have the conversation with the friend and he's like i've got to tell them that i didn't that I didn't do this, so I've got to go to dinner and, and clear all this up. In the, the movie, he doesn't even make that attempt at that dinner scene. So when you omit his reluctance, his trying to get out of it at the very beginning, you change who this character is. And he's a straight-up sociopath in the movie. Mm -hmm. And in the musical, he's more of a um, guy that just gets caught up in a really bad situation um, in a... And, um, just kind of accidentally himself through some still really weird and still unforgivable stuff. Yeah. It's interesting that you would see that distinction. I actually thought you were going the opposite way because I do see the movie trying to let him off the hook a little bit. Like I, I there are those moments where the movie is like, Oh, he didn't want to do this, but he, you know, had to, but you're saying that's even more dramatic in like, he's more trapped in the stage musical Yes, where here it feels like he is making conscious decisions uh, yes. to do these things. That's, that's interesting. And and the other big distinction um, is, is towards the end. Um, there is a character change in the movie that doesn't happen in the musical. And so, um, uh, and I don't, I don't know if we're going to do a Sif spoil on this. So I, I, I don't know. This would be the only thing I would add there. Um, Cause I think it's important enough. I wouldn't. Is there uh, a way to talk? A, is there a way to talk around it? Um, there's a moment where Evan addresses the Instagram crowd mm -hmm. um, yes. for the Connor project. Yeah. That doesn't happen in the musical. And oh. so the ending is very much a, a different ending saying um, that everybody kind of embraces this. Oh, that's a huge change. Yes. That, that this was wrong and that, um, Gosh, I'm trying to bounce around spoilers. Um, <laughs> that, the ending of the musical is a lot more just let this go and it'll be it, everything will blow over and people will forget in six months, which is super pessimistic, but also mm -hmm. accurate. Um, yeah. And uh, and so it kind of it, it, the movie lets him off the hook at the end um, and the musical does not. Uh, the musical lets him live in the agony of his choices, at least oh. in the temporary. And the movie, I feel like tries to just make this character redeemable and essentially gets off scot-free. Wow. Okay. So that is a major change. And that does explain to me a few things because I really had a hard time watching this movie and going, how was this a hit? Like, like this movie is so sociopath, like the, the main character that I think the movie is telling us we want to, you know, the best for is just making, making such terrible, awful human choices 
Um, yep. So, so yeah. yeah in the movie, really... he's a sociopath. In the stage play, he, like I say, he just kind of accidentally leaves himself huh. and tries to get out of it at the beginning. But eventually, he does just like, look, I'm already in this. When you know, when they give the emails, mm-hmm. um, and I'll push back a little bit on the Caitlin Deaver thing. I think she was an excellent choice, but she doesn't have the vocal range that that role requires of her. Um, specifically in the Requiem song, which is where she's driving down the highway at 100 miles an hour. That last note that she's supposed to hit is supposed to be really powerful, like Indina Menzel type, and she gets maybe halfway there in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, yeah. All right. Other thoughts. Andrew, we haven't heard from you for a while. Uh, some other Aaron, things. You Earlier you mentioned uh, the fact that, you know, uh, Evan Peters is like so much older. You know, he, he, he looks older than. Uh, ben Platt. Like, oh, wait, Evan is his. Yeah. He's, that's his character name. Is yeah. Evan, isn't it? But uh, uh, that Ben Platt looks so much older than everybody else. Uh, I'm pushing back on that because while I was watching this movie, I was looking at this high school and it felt so much like a 90s teen drama mm-hmm, sure. where they cast 30-year-olds. Yes. Because I'm looking around like, oh, so they got uh, cast members with receding hairlines and bald spots <laughs> and full beards and everything like that. So you're just saying he fit in with the entire uh, high school, that everybody there looked That's like it. they were in the yeah. mid-20s. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it was uh, Caitlin Dever who and, uh, and Amanda who were the two that actually kind of looked closer to the age well, of what Well, mid-20s. It's not like Caitlin is a teenager. Caitlin Dever is in her mid-20s, like, you know. So, yeah. 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 Um, I And then I want to talk about the runtime. Because, obviously, this is based off of a musical. Musicals are always long. They're supposed to be long. You're paying hundreds of dollars for a ticket, so you got to get your money's worth. Mm-hmm. But maybe this is just my cynicism whenever it comes to musicals in general. But this was just too long. This movie was way, way, way too long. It felt like every single time there could have been a real moment. And I think that I'm just going to broaden this to the, what I think are the tropes and cliches of musicals. And it's the fact that whenever I think that there is a moment that really deserves a real human, you know, um, emotion or a cathartic moment, it's, it's ruined because they try and use music as the scapegoat, as a way to get out of, you know, having to show like how a person really would go through something like the, like a conversation that he has with the family, the big conversation he has with the family. uh, It's intertwined with them asking questions like normally and then him answering uh, melodically. And it just feels like such a, such a scapegoat and something that it, a way that I think just ruins what could, a human moment by this Elseworld type of storytelling. Yeah. Like I said, I think that's just my cynicism and my dislike of musicals. But uh, Well, there are, there are different types of musicals, and this is one where the singing is integrated into the conversational plot. This isn't, this isn't yeah. one of those musicals where the songs step away from the plot, Say something and then go back to the to the you know uh, plot. Yeah. This this is integrated conversational uh, musical, and if you're going to do that, you have to know 
that is more of a suspension of disbelief than the other, right? Like, because you can imagine in the other that this is some sort of fantasy they're thinking or, you know, whatever. Here, you have to imagine they're not hearing him sing or they are hearing him sing. And if they are hearing him sing, why aren't they reacting like, why are you singing? Yeah. So they obviously aren't hearing him sing, but we're hearing him sing. Continuity. But they're responding. Yeah, Movie. so. So continuity, <laughs> and with the the shift in from dialogue to uh, to music, there's also a complete change in tone because this movie mm-hmm. wants to yes. have the darkest darks and the brightest brights, and it doesn't balance them well at all. Um, I I didn't think so. Uh, no, and that is that is my main negative, and I'll just I'll just go ahead and, and uh, say it this way: much like uh, the Greatest Showman, uh, in in fact, much of my review of this is very similar to to my thoughts on the Greatest Showman. Uh, I don't think this movie is willing to explore its subject matter in a meaningful way. Um, And a lot of that has to do with the music, but a lot of it just has to do with the structure and the plotting. Anytime, uh, Andrew, I think you were touching on this, but anytime something is is serious, the the movie wants to go music mode. And in doing so, it it makes fantastical what is very real and traumatic. And that that is a very difficult thing thing to balance and i don't think the movie uh does it very well um because at the end of the day what is this movie saying about mental health what is this movie saying about suicide like you know the the answers to those questions can be found but the way the movie goes about it makes it feel like a bedtime story rather than an actual in-depth conversation about trauma mental health i mean you look at the main character in the movie uh, it could be Connor, right? Like Connor could be, uh, and probably should be our focal point. And we hear him, um, well, we, we hear the real him, um, very little in this movie. Much of what we see of him is other people's projections of who he is. And, um, and maybe the movie could say something interesting about that, but the, the movie doesn't feel to me like it's wanting to say, uh, anything difficult or traumatic. It's just wanting to say, hey, all this stuff exists. Uh, emotions are real. Emotions are powerful. Um, listen to these incredible songs about how powerful emotions are in trauma. And it's like, yeah, but but are we really are we really exploring it? Are we really finding something at the end of the movie where we go, oh, man, that meant something to me uh, in that yeah. way. Um, and I just, I didn't find it. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not there for someone. It just means I didn't yeah. find it and I didn't have that uh, experience with this movie. No, you hit the nail on the head because it is one of those things. And it was what I was kind of hoping to see in this movie is like, yeah, a lot of people are like curious. How do I have this conversation with somebody? How do I have this conversation with a loved one, a friend or something like that? But whenever the person or the individuals just dive into song, that destroys any ability for them to get, yeah, okay, but how... I can't do that. I can't do that naturally or take anything away from that because it's not pure. It's not real. And yeah, I, if you're going to have music in a movie like the, or in a Broadway show like this, don't make every single subject matter. The, this, a music, a musical number, you have to have those real moments and you have to have those serious real moments that are true. You have to have moments where there is no music, where you see characters being 
100% human having those real conversations mm-hmm. because if they did that, then this movie would have been elevated so much higher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again, just like in the the greatest showman where the movie just seems unwilling to really think about exploitation, about the idea of, you know, selling tickets for people who look different or, you know, sound different or like it's just it just wants everything to be you know, a celebration of uh, showmanship as opposed to actually exploring things. And this movie, I think, shortchanges its subject matter uh, in much the same way. I don't think that's Pasek and Paul's fault necessarily, um, but they keep uh, doing it. <laughs> but they do keep doing it. Um, but you know, maybe maybe La La Land is their sweet spot, right? Like where the subject matter isn't so like romance is important, relationships are important. Um, grappling with the idea of uh, being able to move on from a really important relationship is important, but it's not so deep and traumatic that you know the music in in La La Land feels like uh, it's shortchanging its subject matter. So maybe they just maybe they just need to write you know human stories that are kind of on that mid level as opposed to really trying to to go for the deep stuff. I don't know. That's that's armchair quarterbacking. That's you know I I can't write songs like that. So you know uh, I don't know that I should have a say. But it it's you hmm. know it's just the last two movies that I've seen their stuff in. I've had the same thought. Um, is that the music doesn't do service to the actual subject matter. So yeah yeah yeah. Uh, speaking of the music, there are three uh, songs omitted from the original soundtrack, and there are two new ones. So uh, Alana's song, the the anonymous ones, is new, and Connor's song at the end is new. Uh, and they omit three songs uh, that are all about the parents. Um, and so by omitting those songs uh, really made all those characters feel, all the parent characters feel like one dimensional cardboard cutouts to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely agree. Amy, Amy Adams, her problem, I think she was a great cast for the role, but she gave it 110%. And there was a lot of moments where she needed to give it like 40%. Uh, like a lot more subdued, a little less like manic, crazy, all that. Mm-hmm. Um and so the the song the songs one of the songs that is omitted is the Julianne Moore character, kind of after the after she's invited for the house party, and they offer the scholarship and and all that and and she just like breaks down is is her, um, fighting and and really just ripping into Evan and saying you know this is awful look what you've put yourself in and um, and like you know the the song is is called Good for You uh, and so she just says like so you got what you've always wanted like good for you and look how you've hurt everybody around you and look at the mess you've got yourself in. Um, so really so the, the omission of those three songs really made all the character, all the parent characters feel um, like afterthoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't have much else to say to either. You guys have anything uh, else to mention? No post courtesy. No, not a one, not a one. Um, no, I think I'm good. I think I've said my piece. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's Dear Evan Hansen. It is in theaters. Let's move on to The Eyes of Tammy Faye. It's all part of our mission to help people. Anyone who's hurting or they feel like they've been left out, God has a plan for us. What'd he tell you to do this time? Jesus keeps a ticking me higher and higher. Jim will preach and I'll sing. To be poor. Oh, yes. Butterfly of pleasure. Now God has a voice in this fight. Who's he fighting? Liberal agenda. Homosexual agenda. Faith isn't political. You can't talk to him like that. Jerry Falwell is a powerful man, Tammy Faye. 
In the 1970s and 80s, Tammy Faye and Jim Baker rose from humble beginnings to create the world's largest religious broadcasting network and a theme park and were revered for their message of love, acceptance, and prosperity. Uh, the Eyes of Tammy Faye stars Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye and Andrew Garfield as Jim Baker. Um, you've got Vincent D'Onofrio in there as Jerry Falwell. Uh, Cherry Jones plays Tammy Faye's mom uh, in this. Um, so yeah, some some names you might know. Uh, what did you guys think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Uh, Schweitzer, why don't you start us off? Uh, right and liked it. Right. Dead center liked it. Dead center of liked it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Andrew, what about you? This is one of those movies where it's difficult because there's there's so many high moments that I could bring up, but there are also so many low moments. So just keep that in mind when I say this is high side of didn't like it. Okay. And when you say high side of did, didn't like it, you mean heading into it's just okay almost. Heading uh, into just yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, guys... I am bordering on loved it. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really liked this movie. I don't think I, there's enough uh, wrong with it for me that I don't think I'm going to put it into loved it. But um, man, did am I glad I watched this? I, I, I had a, I had a, a lot of things about this that I really love. First of all, I'll just start here. Um, Give Chastain all all the stuff. Give her give yeah. her all the awards. Throw yeah. them all their her congrats way. Congrats on the congrats on your Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> like it is that it is that kind of performance. You you walk away from going yes. Congratulations on your multiple uh you know awards this award season. Um, she's incredible in this. Absolutely transformative stuff. Astonishing stuff. Literally. Um, and <laughs> the kind of performance that uh, that just like if you want to know how to make Aaron Dicer leave a movie, uh, just being in awe. This is the kind of performance this does that does that. It's you know it's uh, Christian Bale uh, as Dick Cheney. It's you know just the kind of performance that you walk yeah. out of and you just go, that person uh, pulled a full um, master of disguise and became another person. Uh, like that is just incredible stuff from Chastain here. So incredible, in fact, that I think she uh, raises the bar too high for Andrew Garfield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> really good. He's great. He's great. But, but compared well, to her, it's just like, I, yeah, yeah it's just kind of one of those things. I felt unfortunate. I was like, how do you, you know, I think he's great as Jim Baker. I think it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's wonderful, but she is just so transformative that, um, yeah. And through every yeah. season of Tammy Faye's life, like I believed every single age that she played in mm-hmm. this, uh, it was, yeah. Amazing stuff. Yeah. Andrew Garfield's great, but he's not in the Oscar conversation, I don't think. I don't think so uh, either, yeah. But I think Vincent D'Onofrio is for supporting actor. I think he's incredible in this movie, too. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. I think he's really, really good. Um, Yeah, so I would start there with the performance. And just knowing, A, we had a major transformative performance, and B, it's a biopic, you know that I'm already, like... Yeah, hooked in. You know what I mean? Like those, they, are, your, those are your food. They've groups. got me, right? Like <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. they've got me. Um, so right there, you add in the third thing of dealing with people of faith, wrestling with their faith, and trying to figure out, you know, um, what that means to them and what that is. And it's like, how was I not going to fall in love with this project? Um, I think that this movie explores the idea of televangelism, the idea of prosperity-based Christianity, the idea of um, God doesn't want us to be poor, uh, and so, you know, people manipulating other people to 
give them their money so that they can build big houses and theme parks and whatever. I think this movie does both things really well. The two things being, it does not let them off the hook for their choices, for their manipulation, for their misunderstanding of the faith, and at the same time makes them human and does not create them as just paint-by-number villains, um, especially for Tammy and, and Jim in this movie. Jim Jim a little is a little more um, you know cookie-cutter villain, but definitely this, it, this movie is clearly about Tammy, and it allows Tammy Faye to be a fully formed human being with flaws and uh, in things that we like about her, and it, it doesn't feel like a caricature to me. It feels like a real person. And I didn't know if this movie was going to be able to do that. And it did it for me. And so that again is why I land uh, in many ways. So high on the film. I've talked a lot. I want to hear more of your guys's thought. Um, Andrew, what about you? What, what are some of your thoughts? Uh, I'm jumping straight into a negative here. Just to sure, like go a for counter it. argument for what you said. So I don't know if it's just my, disdain for televangelism because whenever I think of televangelism I automatically go to the exploitation, uh, give us your money, sure. you know, as you should <laughs> rich, but it's also the fact that I don't think that these characters really had their, I'm just going to call it a come to Jesus moment, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think that they had that moment where, you know, you learn your lesson, you understand, you know, your faults, because I don't see that character progression. I see characters get their comeuppance, but as a learning moral moment in a movie, I don't think I see this from either uh, Jessica Chastain or Andrew Garfield. Um, also, we need to give props to the makeup and prosthetics department because they definitely help with the, the oh, transformation. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I think that where I think this movie, it, this could just be picky. The movie I think this should have been would was Tammy Faye's defiance in going against what this group of televangelism and the church in general, especially at the time, um, and their views on homosexuality. Mm -hmm. I think that they really, really, really missed a great opportunity to show this moment of Tammy Faye, because I don't know if you guys have seen the, uh, this is based off of a documentary actually that mm -hmm. RuPaul did. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where they really highlighted all the things that Tammy did for the, uh, homosexuality, homosexual community and stuff like that. Like they kind of tiptoe and like, they kind of dip their toe in it in this movie. But I'm like, man, you really missed out on what could be like the redeeming, character moment for for tammy Faye, you know they focused so much i'd say 98 percent of this movie is all about televangelism and i'm like well you really you really missed what this movie could and should have been about man i i i don't know that i agree with that fully i understand where you're coming from um but i think this movie was very much about Tammy Faye loving people. I think those are the themes from the beginning to the end is the idea that she never lost sight of this idea of what her faith was about was acceptance because she felt the, sh the shame and the outcast thing from such an early age that she wasn't invited into church because she was had out of wedlock or whatever, you know, the case might, might be 
that she never lost her compassion for every single other human being and loving them. Even at the close to the end, we get a moment where she goes and has a conversation with some teenage boys. And the whole point of that scene is to go, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter if you're making fun of her to to her face, she's going to treat you as a human being with respect and love you and want to find a way to build a bridge with you. The movie also includes uh, the very powerful AIDS interview uh, that she did mm-hmm. uh, and some other things, which I, you, you weren't saying it didn't. I know you said like that there were some things yeah. in there. Um, yeah. But I think it, it, it didn't want to be just about her love of the homosexual community it wanted to be about her love of humanity and love of everybody um and so uh so i think that's the choice the movie made um and i appreciate that choice because so much of the conversations and the arguments and the difficulties with people of faith engaging in culture have to do with these ideas of rules and, you know, this is how I see right and wrong. And if you're wrong, then I'm judging you. And so you don't belong. And so, you know, you're not part of us. And it's a very human thing. It's not just faith that does this, by the way. You know, it's uh, humans in general have this thing where we judge each other and uh, consider each other others. And I loved that this movie was like at the heart of this person who got caught up in all these things and is not blameless either. I don't think the movie makes her blameless for a lot of this stuff that she gets caught up in at the heart of her though was the true idea of love your neighbor as yourself and the i you know i think the movie does a really good job at portraying that part of who she is and including the the appeals to the homosexual community in that yeah but there's just that element of if you people doing biopics of a care of a person and you go through their entire life mm-hmm. you know there's so much more to the person oh, sure. than yeah. this televang- televangelistic lifestyle. Yeah. Like it barely, for me, it barely touches on her work for the homosexual community. It barely touches on her being a mother. It barely touches on her being, uh, it, it does touch on her being a daughter, you know, mm-hmm. very a little much bit. so. Yeah. But it doesn't, there's, I was I was watching this movie. I'm like, yeah, but there's so much more to this character than sure. what I'm being shown, sure. and I know that there's more to this character. I think even if you don't know who Tammy Faye is, watching this movie, you're like, she is more than what this movie is showing me her to be. And if this is a biopic of her life, you know, from very very young age throughout, you're like, okay, this is a one sided story, and it seems like it's the uh, it seems like at, at, at moments, it, it seems like it's the televangelistic community going, yeah, they made their mistakes, but hey, look at all the good they did. You know, they raised money. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to see the televangelistic. I don't want to see the character that Tammy Faye is constantly putting on, you know, for the cameras and stuff like that. I want to know who the real Tammy Faye is. And I get a few moments of that, especially whenever there's antagonistic moments between her and Andrew Garfield, you know. But for the most, I think that too much of this movie is the TV persona. Sure, sure. It sounds like you want like a six episode docu series, you know, like you know. I, I just I don't know how you do that in you know a movie and keep it under three hours um, to really explore it. Do but. do what uh, I'm I'm becoming a bigger fan of whenever you do a biopic. Don't do somebody's entire life. Pick a, a specific right. moment in their life. I agree with that. And you know because. If you dial in on that, you can really show who a person is. 
throughout a course of days or weeks or months, you yeah. know, because you're getting way more personal and instead of a broad generic brushstroke of who this person was. Schweitzer, talk to us, man. What are some of your thoughts? You guys yeah. are saying all the things I'm thinking of. Um, I, th- <laughs> I, I, I am 100% in the boat of this sh- probably should be a documentary or not a documentary, a, uh, a miniseries with the way it's presented uh, because it tries to hit on so much. And so there are times that everything feels short shrifted. Um, and not only that, it tries to hit on every possible th- aspect of her life. I mean, there's, there's drug addiction and it's only like five minutes of the movie and right. it's just forgotten about right uh, now it's it's because i think the movie portrays it as accidental and then you know her it has a moment clean, of resolution but, but you're right it's very cheap you know there is a moment where you know somebody says you need to stop doing that and she's like oh i didn't even know that you know my doctors right. told yeah. me to so it, it but you're right it's barely there yeah. So, so they want to touch on so much, but there's also a lot of things that they just kind of omit, um, or, the, or the, a lot of things that they do touch on don't get enough time. And like that's, gosh, I hate to be the guy that's just like, oh, the stuff that this is based off of is all different, because um, because the the woman that um, Jim Baker has an affair with was not just a casual sexual encounter, but she he was accused of raping that girl. Mm-hmm. So, yep. and they gloss over that in the movie they just say that he had an affair and it's like that's totally different things and then tammy faye winds up actually her second husband is the guy that they pitched the water park to mm-hmm. and then he helps put them in you know ruin their organization and put jim in prison all that so there's a lot of there's a lot of issues i have with that um uh it just it feels like they're trying to say so much and i, I agree with andrew take take one part of tammy faye's life and uh and and just let it be there. If you wanna if you wanna have a, a little bit of backstory, and I think the perfect perfect framing device for this movie would to be around the, be around the AIDS conversation, um, that 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 big interview, and to uh, to let that be the moment because that's kind of the start of the collapse, of like the real like the final collapse of what's been going on, and you can build. Um, you know, tensions around, you can have people like back in the studio also kind of having these conversations while Tammy's on air. I think, uh, I think that's the, the better way to frame this movie, but the way that it is now, it just needs to be either a three hour Epic or it needs to be a six part document or six part biopic series. And, um, that, yeah, I don't think I don't my complaint. I still don't think this movie can do what you guys want it to do, uh, as a movie. I think it has to be a, a docu-series because I think what they did for me and why it worked for me is I do think they focus on one part of her life. It's just not an event. I really do think there's a through line in this movie about how she loves people. I think that is the entire, yeah. I think that's the entire point of this movie is Tammy Faye never stopped loving the outsiders like that. To me, that's what this movie is, is choosing to focus on. And that's why I was compelled by it. All the stuff that's rotating around her, like a hurricane, the drug addiction, the uh, the affairs, the this the Jim Baker stuff, the you know um, the stuff we've mentioned. That is the hurricane around what we're supposed to see as somebody who is not blameless, but is caught up in this you know craziness when all she wants to do is love people. That that's been her whole life's goal is to tell people that they're loved. And, uh, and that's why it works for me. Um, because I feel like that stuff, though, it's not all fleshed out in touched on, um, it just adds to the cacophony of the different things that were around this woman, um, throughout her life. I found the, cl- the closure of this movie 
to be very interesting, and I want to have more conversations about it. I don't think it's 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 not spoilery. I don't think because again, we're dealing with you know real life events. So, but if you don't want to yeah. know how this movie ends, um, then I guess you can fast forward a little bit. But I don't find it spoilery uh, for the most part. Uh, but it ends with her getting back into singing and doing a concert. I think at Oral Roberts, maybe. Um, and uh, right. and the the choice is made to uh, cross cut between the actuality of her just singing to a track to these people and to this like big production number uh, idea. And I think the idea we're supposed to get here from this final scene is that she. Uh, it, along with her wanting to love everybody is this idea that she always wanted to be a big performer. And I think that to end it in that way to me is very interesting because it brings up to me the negative aspects of this this person in a way to say um, we we are redeeming her in some ways because we are showing how she loves people. But don't forget that this is part of the problem. Part of the problem is the, you know, the performative nature of Tammy Faye, the performative nature of faith. When you make faith performative, bad things happen. And they drop a big American flag in that scene. And I can't yeah. like, I am saying that the end of this movie is definitely making a point about love her for how she loved people but understand this is the problem and that, that, you know, the idea of tying Christianity or faith in general to nationalism, to these kind of things is why in many ways the world looks the way it looks like today. And for the movie to do that, I found conflicting. And I think that's the point. I think I'm supposed to leave going, Oh, I, I love, you know, this person, but this, you know, <laughs> This is the problem that she's caught up in this whole system that just puts people in that that position. I don't know what, what you're you hitting on right now is one of my favorite things about this movie was that ending really stuck with me because I was really confused as it was happening. But as I was thinking about it more, I was I was getting the same vibes and um, I, I went off on the writers room podcast uh, on this movie, essentially saying, I don't think this is the movie we need right now. And mm, now having seen it. Um, I mean, that was before the movie came out. Okay. Um, now, having seen it, I think this is exactly the movie we need right now. Um, it's really interesting because because of exactly what you're saying, because I thought this was going to just cause further divide and, and sour people's images of, of Christians, of, uh, of just anything. And I, I think that division is the least thing we need in, in society right now. Um, and that, that ending really brought it up to be to, to to like you said to say this is the problem is because of the nature of this person and i don't you're right andrew i don't think this movie has a come to jesus moment a i don't think you're right these characters get their comeuppance but i don't necessarily see repentance from these characters or i don't see them well and the movie makes them. clear they don't see repentance from these characters in real life yeah like the movie in its you know post text you know pretty much says everybody's still doing the same thing you know, so right. yeah. So, yeah. but but I think that 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 uh, that American flag drop was the moment where I was like, oh, that's what this whole last little bit is about. And I was mm -hmm. just like, oh, that's, um, yeah, so symbolic of where we are as a country right now, and um, and where the problems lie in this country right now. So yeah, um, yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah. Really did not like the ending of this. Movie. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I'm serious. I really didn't. Because it exacerbated all of my problems with the movie at, at whole. Like, uh, for me, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, I don't think that these, like, there are huge moments in this movie where I'm like, yeah, I don't think that they believe the things they're saying. Like, truly believe, like, the, especially, I'm talking about, like, the praise be, you know, and uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, you know. It, it's, it, it sounds like they're just, I know, I know that I don't want to, paint the brush that I'm saying that they're not Christians and that they're doing this solely to exploit for money, you know, mm -hmm. but it, there is a, there is definitely a level of, I am going to exploit my faith for fame and wealth, you know? And I, whenever I'm watching the end of this movie, I'm, I'm just hit with, so you learned nothing. I think that's the point. Nothing. I know, but the movie, but the ending of this movie is, it, it seems like a championing moment. Mm, and it's know. like, it doesn't, I, I, I get the assumption that you guys walked away from this movie in the ending going like, yeah, she, uh, she, uh, she, she loves people. She, she got her comeuppance and now she can, and it's sad, but here we're going to show that this is a sad person who didn't learn their lesson at the in that they're stuck in this lifestyle and that they're stuck in this mindset and we're supposed to feel bad for her in this moment. But whenever I'm watching the in ending of this movie, I'm like, I think that the movie is like championing her right now. Hmm. And I felt that's where I just felt icky. I'm like, uh, no, I don't want to, to do this. Mm -hmm. This is not what I was hoping this movie would end up saying or doing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, you know, I, I enjoy movies that can can make us have these conversations, uh, and so that's you know probably another uh, reason that that I you know come away from it liking it so much. But um, but I can see that, Andrew. I can I can definitely see that. I think, in fact, I think uh, Schweitzer and I are saying similar things. It made us feel icky too, and I do think that is the. the I don't mean to speak for you, Aaron, but I you know I know we kind of saw it in similar yeah. ways, but. Um, but yeah, I definitely felt icky watching that, and I think that is the intent. And I wonder if because I wonder if because I haven't seen the documentary it's based on. It sounds like you have, Andrew. Is that correct? Uh, bits and pieces. Of okay. It, yeah. Okay. I tried to I tried to <laughs> watch all of it, you know, before today, mm -hmm. but I just didn't get to yeah. it. So. Um, it sounds like that documentary comes away with a, a pretty positive view on Tammy Faye, right? Like that it's that it's presenting something positive about her i could be wrong again i've never seen it no it, it, it it's it it highlights the good she did right for you know and i just like don't think homosexual i just don't think this movie was interested in making her a hero i think it was interested in making her a human and so like to do that they have to walk a really fine balance of we want you to love this person but we want you but we don't want to acquit her for her past or existing complicit uh um being complicit in these things so um yeah I, it's a hard thing to do i thought the movie did it well um you know you didn't that's okay like we you know we have different experiences yeah. but um but yeah so anyhow how um, interesting that both of these movies that we're talking about today elicit such con elicit such controversial you know and way like wavering ideals of like what the movie wants us to think about the mm -hmm. main characters sure yeah what were you, you going to say Schweitzer? 
Uh, just, um, I'm really interested in checking out the documentary after seeing this. Um, at this point, more than I am in a rewatch of this movie, but um, I am definitely not opposed to, to wanting to check this one out again. Um, I'm just like very interested right now in seeing the, uh, the Eyes of Tammy Faye documentary. Yeah, I guess my one last thing, the other thing I would say, just because you brought it up, uh, Andrew, I think it's in an important thing when dealing with questioning what people believe versus what they're doing to manipulate people. Um, I, you know, it is incredible to me the things the human mind can rationalize and, tr and truly convince itself it believes. Uh, so, you know, it, it is very possible that somebody is sociopathic enough to not believe what they're saying and to manipulate people. I believe that probably happens in many cases. It is also very, very possible that they have they have convinced themselves of a truth that they can't see how hurtful and false it is. Um, I think both both cases are possible, both cases are true, and both cases happen. Um, we have this incredible capacity to convince ourselves of things uh, that you know internally we believe to be true and externally people are going, you really believe that? <laughs> like, so it's human nature is complex. Um, but, uh, but I've definitely seen it happen in myself in others. Uh, it's just, it's part of being human is this ability to rationalize, uh, in many things. So, yep. There you go. Uh, all right. Before we head on to the best ever challenge, uh, I do want to say thank you to our Sif Pop members. We had a great conversation on yeah. the Emmy Awards for the bonus podcast this week. If you're interested in checking out the Sif uh, Pop membership, it is at Patreon, patreon.com slash Uh It keeps this podcast going, keeps the website going. Uh, really appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, again, you can check that out at patreon.com slash sifpop. Lots of fun stuff uh, that we do there. And you can check out all the different levels. Uh, support starts at $3 uh, every month. If you love what goes on here and it would not um, be hurtful to your finances in any way to do so, um, we thank you for that support. Patreon.com slash sifpop. All right, let's move on to the best ever challenge, best ever mistaken identity movies. Um, yeah. There is an article on Sif Pop uh, of this best ever challenge if you want to check out some of our writers' uh, choices for this. But we'll go from number five to number one. Uh, feel free, free to trump any choices that you have higher so that the uh, person who has it the highest can talk about it first. Um, we'll start at number five. Uh, Schweitzer, why don't you kick us off? What's your number five mistaken identity movie? Uh, so I have Monty Python's Life of Brian. Good choice. Had it in my honorable mentions. Good, good show. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I just figured that one would get trumped. Um, I I do prefer Holy Grail to Life of Brian in terms of the Monty Python ones, but uh, it's hard to deny that this is one of the funniest movies ever made, um, and has some of the most iconic moments ever in film. Um, you know, thinking of the the biggest dickus uh, scene and the one with yeah. the um, correcting the Greek grammar for the. Uh, um, the vandalism um mm -hmm. the, yeah. the people oh being, yeah um which is maybe my favorite scene in the movie uh lots of lots of good thematic stuff here as well and in a lot of ways some of the same things that we're talking about um mm -hmm. Hansen and tammy faye um uh, yeah this is where i had uh monty Python's left brian nice uh quiet you silly person <laughs> no it's a That's good choice it, it, it's a good choice and you know everybody knows holy grail and a lot less people know 
some of the other Python movies and uh, Life of Brian yeah. is an interesting one to check out. Uh, my number five is Game Night. Uh, I had Trump. Ga- oh, well, got it trumped. Uh, there you go. Guess we're on to your number five. It was Andrew. an honorable mention. Yeah, it was an honorable mention. Uh, I'm going to go with Lucky Number Eleven. I love talking about this movie I'll apparently because it's. But uh, oh. so we can talk about it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, go ahead. Yeah, go uh, for it. And Andrew, I also love this movie. Aaron, you it's it really is worth a second shot. Um, I know you mentioned it last mm-hmm. time we brought, we brought it up. Um, yeah, this is one of those really interesting like interwoven plots, and uh, definitely among uh, among the best of them um, for sure. Nice. Yeah, um, everybody's on their a game. I love the, the set design, everything. The yeah, it's just a great great movie. Lucky number seven in at lucky number four for Schweitzer and five for Ormsby. Uh, all right, on to my number four then. Uh, this is where yep. I had Back to the Future. Uh, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Schweitzer, you don't have any Trumps left. Uh, I have one more. I have one more. <laughs> and I think I'm going to have to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what is your number four? Uh, the Big Lebowski. Oh, it's not Trump. Oh, oh hey, nice, I was nice. waiting. I was waiting. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think, the most famous mistaken identity movie out there. You know, uh, that's literally the entire plot of this movie. I love the Coen brothers. Uh, we're going to be talking about them later on in the show. Mm-hmm. But I love the Coen brothers. I mean, they 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 get me. They, their style of comedy, their their ridiculousness. It's it's brilliant, and I think that the Big Lebowski. Obviously, this is Jeff Bridges' best performance. It's John Goodman's best performance. Uh, I love this journey that this incredibly lethargic man goes on for as for as lazy and like like just chill as this guy is. He goes on one of like the grandest adventures. It, it's it's just brilliant. I love it. He just wants to go bowling, man. He just wants to go bowling. And I worked in a bowling alley whenever I first saw, saw this movie. So oh, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. I had it. My honorable mentions uh, certainly worth mentioning um, as a mistaken identity movie. All right, on to our number threes. Uh, Schweitzer, what do nope. you got? Yeah, this is where I have game night. Okay, I had a number five. You got it at number three. Talk on it. Um, this is one of the best comedies of the last ten years. Um, yeah. The the performances are perfectly cast. I think it's a really clever movie as well. Um, Jesse Plemons being a standout for sure. Um, easy, easy. Um, and uh, there's 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 enough about this that works both as a like non comedy mystery and enough funny moments that that really kind of balance both of them well to give one of the best all around movies. Uh, th- this came out when movie pass was a thing. You guys remember movie pass? I do remember uh, movie pass. I saw this like What's three times. In the theater and I, I really loved it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Uh, that's why I had it at number five. I, I think it has been said many times. It deserves saying again, it is so much more than a comedy. It, there's so much care put into the production choices made in this movie. Uh, and just how well it's structured and, Man, it's just clever. It's funny. Great performances. Uh, hard to overstate how much fun Game Night is. Um, so yeah, I've seen and it, it many, has many times. Aaron's favorite comedic line of the last decade. It does. It does. Oh no, he died. Oh no, he died. <laughs> um, it has one of my favorite lines, but I can't say it on the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's, Fair enough. There's that Fair as enough. well. 
Um, yeah, so game night uh, in at your number three. So I think that's my number three is uh, yep. next. Uh, Galaxy Quest I had in it. It was my three. very first honorable mention. Yeah. Man, do I love this movie. Um, so good. It's brilliant. It really is. And before we were awash in comedic Star Trek type stuff, you know, now we've got the Orville and Lower Decks and... You know, this was kind yeah. of the first to kind of poke that comedy uh, element of a sci-fi show like uh, Star Trek or the fandom of a show like yeah. that. Uh, in and, a meta way. In such a meta way, in such an interesting way. And um, man, I love I love the performances here. I love the jokes. Um, just incredible casting all around. Uh, from Tim Allen to Alan Rickman to uh, Scorny Weaver, um, just just really great stuff. So so yeah, had to mention Galaxy Quest. You can't forget whenever you're talking about Galaxy Quest, you can't forget to talk about Sam Rockwell as oh guy. yeah. Is there air? Yeah. You don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I also love Tony Shalhoub's <laughs> like just hey. Uh, Ships breaking apart and all. Mm-hmm. Just FYI. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, good. It's such a bro- I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna watch uh Galaxy Quest again today. Never a bad choice. Because it is just it's such a rewatchable movie. You could watch this movie a thousand times and it would never get old. Yeah. It's yeah, it's great. No. <laughs> is I don't there disagree. Air? You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> uh all right, what do you got at number three, Andrew? Uh, my number three is if my list will pull up. Thanks, phone. Prisoners. Oh, interesting. I didn't think of this because one because if you really think about it, uh, the Paul Dano character is really, and it's I'm I'm gonna talk, try and talk around this without spoilers, but there is a possibility of a mistaken identity with this character because you don't know going into this uh, whether or not he is the killer or not. Mm -hmm. But Hugh Jackman is so, I think Mm. without Hugh Jackman's uh, character being so adamant about Paul Dano being the killer that his mistaken identity and like mistaken conviction, Mm -hmm. uh, conviction in the sense of, you know, being convicted of a crime and being accused Mm -hmm. his, his, mistaken accusation i guess is a better way to say it is really the driving force of the whole movie so i think that that's uh, i might be pushing the the boundaries of what mistaken identity means in mm-hmm. some ways but uh you know me i love this movie so much i had to find a way to put it sure in there, so. yeah totally get it yeah uh all right on to our number twos what do you got yes yeah this is where i have soul yeah me too so we can talk about it at the same time go for it cool uh, th- I don't like this movie as much as you do, Aaron, but I, I don't know what anybody does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, th- I think it's good. Uh, I-, I think it's really good. Um, great. Love- I love it. Um, I-, I think it's gotten better the more I've watched it. Um, but it's, uh, it- it's such a heartwarming movie that has a lot to say. I think it's Pixar's first movie for adults mm-hmm. uh, more than it is for kids. And I think... Um, Obviously, the animation's incredible. There's really not much to not love about this movie. Yeah, for some people, it's the ending, but I really dig the ending. I, I really yeah. think that's the the best way to finish that movie. Um, yeah. But uh, but man, there's just there's so much 
to love about soul. I've, I've talked about it plenty. I don't have to rehash everything, but um, <laughs> if nothing else, the music in this movie is just astonishing. I could listen to this soundtrack uh, all day, every day. It's so good. Um, and it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful movie. So yeah, love soul. That's my number two. Uh, and Schweitzer's number two. So what about you, Andrew? What's your number two? Uh, everybody's favorite female name in the title of a movie. I'm going to go with Saving Private That's Ryan. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this would have been on my list, but we specified for the website saying it had to be plot relevant and decided it wasn't. Um, yeah. But that, that note was not well, the email. You so tell me Fillion if it was pl- plot relevant <laughs> or not. The man, went, the man went on a journey over those five minutes. Yeah. No, well, I'm, I'm not going to complain. I think the, pro- re- the plot relevance of it is the whole finding a needle in a stack of needles, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I re- I, you thought I pushed the envelope with uh, prisoners. I'm really pushing it with, uh, <laughs> with saving private. Listen, Ryan. I'm never gonna. This is a mistaken identity. Yeah, I well, I'm never yeah. gonna. I'm never gonna dis, uh, discount saving private Ryan from a best ever challenge. I have no right to. Wouldn't so. that be ironic <laughs> if you did? Wouldn't that be ironic? Yeah. 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 No. So, yeah, it's saving private Ryan. I mean. Content warning. I mean, it's it's such a rough movie, but it's such an important movie and a beautiful movie. It really mm-hmm. is the yeah the greatest generation for a reason. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think we're on to our number ones. Schweitzer, yep. what do you got? Yeah, this is where I have Back to the Future. All right. There you go. Um, it's like okay. my twenty sixth favorite movie of all time, or something like that. Um, it's it's a classic, and um, has uh, some of the most memorable movie moments. Uh, with some of the best, uh, most memorable movie characters. Um, it's really, again, really hard to find a bad thing to say about the movie other than it sometimes gets icky. Um, and uh, it, I don't know, it handles it better than a movie from 1985 should. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love Back to, to the back Future. It's been forever since I've seen it. Yeah, I uh, I had it at number four, so obviously I agree with you. Um I think it's a yeah. it's a really fun movie. Um, I think the sequels are better than people give usually give them credit for, um, but they're not as good as the original. I think the original is just uh, just a really I, you know. Listen, I don't even know how much of it is. Michael J. Fox is just so charismatic and fun to watch on screen. Like I just you know watch that guy in anything, and then just something that's sci fi and fun like this and. Yeah. You know, has Christopher Lloyd just being amazing uh, is just, yeah, I just, I love Back to the Future. Can you think of an, any other movie where the character is so obtusely portrayed as a loser that growing up you wanted to be? <laughs> like, like, oh, I want to be that loser. He's so cool. Scott you Pilgrim know, versus like, the world, maybe? I don't know. Oh, well played. Well played. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of lovable losers in movie history, um, but but no, you're right. Marty McFly is kind of the the definition. The coolest loser of all. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure right. out uh, how old was Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future. It's because like the, it's like somebody said he can be anywhere between forty five and ninety. Yeah, and that you, was, nobody uh, would be able to tell. John Mulaney had that one in one of his stand up specials where he's essentially That's where I heard it, back yeah. to the future, and there's like he's hanging out with this disgraced nuclear physicist. And how old is this guy? He's like somewhere between forty and eighty. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? 
Where uh, we're going, we don't need roads. All right, you mentioned, um, I forget what it was that, Andrew, you said was the definition of a mistaken identity. Uh, oh, Lebowski uh, was like yeah. the most... I think my number one is probably on the same level as just like the entire plot is about mistaken identity, and that's North by we Northwest. We probably have the same number one. Oh, maybe, maybe I don't know. Mine's North by Northwest um, uh, oh. at number one. No, so. we don't. <laughs> uh, I've spoken many I knew times. This, actually, I knew this was going to be, I should have known this was your number one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, uh, what is it, currently number five in my top movies of all time. Um, yeah. My favorite Hitchcock movie. Uh, just incredible, incredible stuff. Yeah. Uh, just such a compelling journey with this mistaken identity and you know what happens you know hitchcock loved the normal man in extreme situations that was he just loved that stuff and one of the easiest ways to get there is mistaken identity and so that's what he used here um and cary grant's incredible uh so many oh, incredible yeah. scenes uh in this movie if you haven't checked it out high high recommend north by northwest is my number one uh, Andrew, what do you got at number one? Uh, so it's it's a shame because this is one of those movies where it's a spoiler to say it's a mistaken identity movie, hmm. and it's and no matter how old this movie gets, it's one of those movies where I really hate spoiling it. But here it goes: Fight Club. <laughs> well, you know, I thought about Fight Club. I I didn't consider this a mistaken identity movie, but I know it's what a you're saying. Mistaken identity on yourself. I know what. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I I understand what you're saying. Um, and I don't begrudge you uh for including it. So yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's Fight Club. If you haven't seen it, sorry that I spoiled it for you. Uh, it's one of those few movies where, like, if somebody says, like, oh, I haven't seen, it, I'm like. Just stop everything you're doing in the world right now in case somebody <laughs> is about to spoil it for you. Go and watch it. It's yeah. not the movie you think it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of people, I, even me going into this movie, thought, oh, this is just going to be a crazy, you know, uh, machismo, testosterone-induced in, uh, fight fest, you know? And yeah, there are those moments of this movie, but... You also got to remember it's a David Fincher movie and David Fincher will always find a way to put something on the next mm -hmm. level. And I think yeah. that this is, yeah, it's his best movie. For yeah. Me. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I, if I had considered it as mistaken identity and again, I think you're absolutely right. I don't, you know, uh, disagree with, with the idea you're going with. Uh, it would definitely have been in my top five as well. Um, it's just, it's incredible filmmaking. It really is. Um, all right. So honorable mentions. Um, there's certainly a few we could talk about. I'll just rattle some off. And then if you guys have any others, uh, you can mention them. Uh, School of Rock, I think is worth mentioning. Uh, Talented. Isn't, mis that, isn't that deception? Uh, no, I think it starts with mistaken identity, right? And then becomes deception. So I think it's yeah, been a I hot minute right. since I've seen this. Though. Yeah. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, also starts yes. with mistaken identity and becomes deception. Um, Great Dictator uh, is worth mentioning. Uh, one of my favorites almost made my list over game night, Dave. Um, not a lot of people talk about Dave, but I love that one. Um, bugs Life. Uh, there's some mistaken identity of the circus uh, bugs, so I wanted to mention that. Uh, Dumb and Dumber has some mistaken identity in there, so uh, that's worth mentioning. And then So I Married an Axe Murderer. Um, another one of my <laughs> underrated favorites uh, has some mistaken identity yeah. in it. What are some other ones maybe I didn't mention uh, that you guys had in your honorable mentions? 
Uh, actually, I'm just looking at the chat right now. Jay Bourgeois has thrown out the Prestige. Would you consider the no, Prestige? No, no, that's not mistaken um, identity. I think that is that's uh, deception. That's deception. Yeah. 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 I don't think I don't think we said that at the top of the at the top of the segment that sure. that deception movies don't count in the mistaken identity. Right. It has to be yeah. where somebody uh the idea is somebody mistakes a character or characters for some something or someone they are not uh and then yeah. that uh generates plot. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the only one I'll throw out uh and it's just it's the only reason it's not in my top 5 is because it's not super relevant but uh super bad cuz there's that scene where Michael Sarah gets mistaken for somebody's cousin as the singer. Oh, God, and he has right. to sing uh yeah. what does he sing? Uh These but I love that scene. These are the scenes. Yeah. Just the key yeah. changes just keep piling <laughs> right. on top of each other. Yeah. yeah. Uh so it's not the plot relevant but has a scene. There you go. I love it. Uh, best ever mistaken identity movies. Feel free to let us know yours. Uh, all right, guys, let's get into the buried treasure. What's that one thing uh, in any area of pop culture you want to make sure people know about it? Schweitzer, you're our guest, so you will go last. Um, uh, Andrew, you're doing the uh, years of your life uh, thing, catch up, list of shame. That's right, Aaron. We're going all the way back to the year 1987. President Reagan tells Gorbachev to tear down a wall. <laughs> Baby Jessica reports back that there is nothing at the bottom of her aunt's well. The Simpsons' first season premiered, I Turned One, and a little ditty of a movie was released. And that ditty was Raising Arizona. Yeah. Very nice. A movie that I, unfortunately, have missed until this point. I said earlier on we were going to be talking about the Coen brothers. Mm -hmm. Here we are again. Um, wow, this is a fun movie. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know what I was expecting going in. I, I really had no frame of reference other than my love of the Coen brothers. But as far as like, uh, plot or anything like that. I knew basically this was a Nick Cage movie and it's what a lot of people consider to be Nick Cage's best performance and movie. Um, I, I love his performance in this movie. I'm still going to go with adaptation from what I think is his best performance, but what a crazy fun, happy ride for as dark material matter as what this is. The characters are so lovable. High is just such a, uh, his, I don't know if it's just the Southern drawl or his optimistic mannerisms, but you just fall in love with the guy. There is uh, halfway through the movie, there is a uh, a chase sequence, uh, like a, a cop, you know, chase sequence that is this close to being uh, uh, not Benny, uh, what is it, Benny Hill? Mm -hmm. You know, it's this close to being a Benny Hill bit, but there's enough of, uh, I guess it's just not reeled fast enough is really mm -hmm. what it is. Yeah. But uh, I, I love John Goodman. I, I thought the the idealist or the, uh, I don't fully understand fu uh, the the concept of this, uh, this hellbent Avenger character. Uh, maybe if I watch this movie a couple more times, which I plan on doing because I had so much fun with it, I'll get more of an idea. At first, I thought he was going to be this, uh, like a a phantasmal, you know, entity. It's just like he is guilt, like he is guilt uh, incarnate, you know. But then uh, he turns out to be an actual character, like a real physical mm -hmm. being. And so I'm going to have to go back and rewatch this movie 
a couple more times to see if I fully understand everything about him. But the way everybody falls in love with that little baby <laughs> from John, <laughs> uh, from, from, uh, from uh, Nick Cage to John Goodman character and how they all uh, just see him. And I'm like, man, this baby, if he, if he would ha have been able to remember what a story he would have had to tell. What a great movie. And I'm so glad that uh, I watched it. I really am. I should yeah. have watched it a long time ago. It's a good one. Lots and lots of fun. And it's been a hot minute since I've seen it. I should probably do a rewatch. Um, but uh, but I remember really, really enjoying it. Uh, I had already fallen in love with the Coen brothers by that point. And so I went back and watched it specifically because uh, it was them and uh, was not disappointed. So, yep. yeah, definitely. Also, last week I didn't do my little uh, what happened in 1986 thingy. So, uh, Chernobyl, uh, what was the... <laughs> spaceship explorer challenger. No, was challenger you know great year and, uh, great year chernobyl <laughs> space challenger oh I, i'm gonna let you know right now i have uh one of those little intros for all the way from 1986 to 2020 nice. and i'm gonna let you know right now once you get into the later half of that segment or the that uh that chronological listing uh -huh. Not all of them are going to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Some of them are going to be pretty dark. Not going to lie. Uh, I, for my buried treasure, want to talk about Star Wars Visions on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Um, they I'm released what your thoughts are. nine episodes. They are basically short films set in the Star Wars... Well, I, I don't want to say set in the Star Wars universe because they technically are not canon. Uh, so they are set it's with the what if of Star Wars. Yeah, well, ex well, except what if is technically MCU canon because of the multiverse. Um, so, uh, but they basically went to some really top-notch uh, anime studios, animation studios, and said, "Hey, play with the Star Wars stuff. Give us a fun thing." And uh, and they did. Some of them I loved, loved, like thought were really great. Uh, some of them were good. Um, all of them were watchable. So yeah, there's, I don't think there's one in the batch of nine that I would go, ah, just skip it. It's not worth it. Um, so you've seen them all. I have, I watched all nine of them okay. and you know, it's a, it's a fairly quick watch. I mean, it's basically like watching yeah, like 14, a movie, 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. So you're dealing with watching, you know, uh, like a two hour movie or 90 minute movie, uh, basically to get through them. Some of them are more like 20 minutes. Um, they're kind of all yeah. in that 12 to 25 minute range. But, uh, but yeah, there's some good stuff there. And, you know, George Lucas famously pulled from, uh, you know, a lot of that culture for the samurai culture, that kind of stuff, for what he did with Star Wars. You know, the, the yeah. lightsabers are very katana-like. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of that in there. So to be able to kind of go back to the source and say, you know, now play with these elements in the place that they come from. I just, you know, I found it really interesting and, and really good. Uh, so yeah. So anyhow, uh, Star Wars visions is what it's called. And it sounds like there'll be multiple seasons of this. I imagine much like what if that as standalone anthology as the episodes appear to be, uh, I would not be surprised if they revisit them and if there's more to tell because yeah. some of them build a pretty interesting world that you want to go back to. Um, so, so yeah, there you go. Uh, I've only seen the first three, so I should say that. But that first episode that, that it kicks off with is the duel. So mm -hmm. good. Yeah. It's so good. Is, is that your favorite or is there one down the way that you'd be like, I think, 
oh, there's one, what's it called? The Wedding or The Bride or I can't remember. But it, it's, it's, it takes place at a wedding. It's really incredible world building. So I want to see more uh, from, from that one. Uh, I also want to see, there's one that deals with kyber. Well, a lot of them deal with kyber crystals and the idea of yeah. lightsabers and that kind of stuff. Um, in fact, this is one thing when you binge these, there is a lot of samey same. Uh, and like a lot of, I think every episode somebody says, I have a bad feeling about this. Like, it's just like. <laughs> well, I think you have to. I think by this point, you know, it's not technically Star Wars. Unless somebody does. Somebody doesn't say, I had a bad um, feeling about but this. But I even just mean like plot wise, there's a lot of kyber crystal plots, a lot of, mm. you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, yes, the chat has helped out. The Village Bride, I think, was my favorite. Um, okay. But there were also a couple others. Uh, there's one that deals with the idea of kyber crystals being able to immediately adapt to the force user holding them. Uh, and so, you know, a lightsaber would change colors from, you know, one uh, force user to another based on their mm-hmm. energy um, that I found uh, really interesting and a cool way to play with the storytelling. So I really like that one, too. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, some really interesting stuff here in uh, Star Wars Vision. So I wanted to get that out there and and recommend that. Uh, Schweitzer, what do you got? This was really hard for me to narrow just one thing that I wanted to talk about. But I decided to go (laughs) with a 2021 movie that was not covered on Civ Pop Weekly. It's my favorite film of 2021, Coda, on Apple TV+. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, It's it's Apple TV Plus movie original. So... um, you could check it out there. It's um, uh, it stands for Child of Deaf Adults, and it's about this child of deaf adults who is who grows up in like um, the the South somewhere, like on a, or no, it's New England. Um, uh, it's the South. A Fisher family. <laughs> <laughs> she's part of a fisherman's family, and um, uh, she so she has to like be a lot of what the family relies on, since she can speak and hear um, uh, everything. Um, so she's a you know, normal uh, speaking and hearing person, uh, ch- child of deaf adults, and discovers she has a passion for singing in high school and that she's really good at it. Uh, and so seeing the family dynamic shift there, it uses music in a really interesting way. And it has what is currently my favorite scene of the year, um, which is where there's like a technical uh, way that they do um, this this big performance that this movie has been building to. And instead of showing us the performance, they show us, the parents reacting to the audience completely silent. And uh, um, it's just one of the most beautiful moments. It's got a, makes me cry three times. Uh, I've seen it twice, two or three times now. Um, I love, love, love this movie. Yeah. I watched it recently and also really, really enjoyed it. Um, it, It's, it's a bit saccharine at times for me. Like it's a a bit over the top, uh, Mm -hmm. but it works. It definitely works. And um, I have never had uh, some uh, a, a completely deaf person in my life in in close proximity, um, and so you know the empathy. I mean, that's what movies are for. You know, in many ways, is to be able to experience that kind of empathy in other people's world uh, worlds. I will say, I know this wasn't wasn't your intention at all, but I do want to mention it. I, I think you said uh, something about. Uh, normal hearing and uh, speaking person and normal is not the word that you yeah, know necessarily want to use there. I try but... to avoid that, but I'm <laughs> yeah. sure it's like, so apologies. Yeah, uh, but did want to mention that and just say uh, Coda is a good one and yeah, you can check that out again on Apple TV+. 
plus. Yeah, so and they actually go. cast, um, you know, real deaf people. Like Marley mm-hmm. Matlin is, like, I think po- possibly the most famous uh, deaf actress ever. And uh, she won an Oscar. And then you also have, uh, is it Troy Kotsur? I know I'm butchering his name, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, actually casting deaf people um mm-hmm. you know for representation and they're just great yeah great yeah. actors and actresses yeah. too so. lots of great performances well there you go uh we did it guys we did a podcast um, we set out to do it and it has been done so congratulations uh to all who participated oh yeah Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Sif Pop is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. So you can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Thank you, buddy. Big thanks to Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Got a little something caught in my throat. Uh, thank you to Drew for providing visuals for the show. Yeah, buddy. And uh, thank you to Aaron Schweitzer for coming and hanging out with us today. Uh, What do you want to promote? Aaron, what do you want to tell people about? Yeah, uh, really just want to direct people to the writer's room, uh, Sip Pop Writer's Room, and wherever you're listening to podcasts. Uh, Just all the writers for the site come on in a kind of rotational basis. It's a good kind of overview for talking lots of different movies, usually older stuff, and um, getting to hear lots of different perspectives on that. So. That's the Sift Pop Writers Room. Um, should pop up if you search for Sift Pop. Um, should pop up if you search for Studio DNA. Um, should pop up if you search for Writers Room. So lots of ways to get there on uh, whatever podcast player you are using. Thank you to our Sift Pop members for giving monthly to make Sift Pop a real thing. Support starts at three dollars a month. Uh, at the different levels, there are different bonuses, so you'll want to check those out at the site. Patreon.com slash SIFPOP. Thank you for even going there. Uh, A lot of ways to connect with us. You can leave a comment, a rating, or a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, Or you can send us an email, feedback at SIFPOP.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too. So make sure you let them know about it and that listening is much easier than pulling off being a high schooler age 28. Uh, (laughs) We will be back next week with Venom and Many Saints of Newark. So we will see you then.